Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. Well, God, we do call for your Spirit to, to feed us, to guide us, and to lead us so that we can just lift our hands and wholly surrender to you. So, God, that's what I'm praying for right now. I pray that we just surrender this time to you now and that you allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So we are in week two of our series called Who Do You Say That I Am? And in this series, we we started to look at last week at, at that question where who do you say that I am came from. And that came from uh, the Gospel of, of Matthew, the 16th uh, chapter. And, and through that was a declaration that, that Peter made to Jesus about, well, who, who Jesus was. See, the rest, some of the other disciples were, were saying stuff that he was a, you know, a great prophet, he was Elijah, he was John the Baptist, which were all fine and good. These were, these were people that helped lay the groundwork and the basis of our faith, but they all missed the point. And then Peter is the one who, who made the declaration that, that you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, and, and we, we left it at that point mainly because I wanted to continue on with the scripture uh, for today because it, it builds upon one another. And, and Jesus introduces to us the word church. And he introduces us that word through, not Peter, but sometimes we get confused thinking that because he says, Peter, you are the one, it's not of who Peter is, it's the proclamation that Peter made that, that Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah. But he says these words in uh, verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It's not saying that Peter is the one that the church is going to be built on, but it's the proclamation that he made about who Christ is. So today we are going to talk about the question, who is the church? Now, when I was thinking about this sermon series, the the original uh, title that I had is, What is the Church? Because Sometimes it's easy for us to think of, of a church, well, a, as a building where you come and you walk in and you worship and you fellowship and you do all of these different things, but, but that's not what the church is or, or who the church is. So th- we changed the question from what is the church to who is the church. And whenever I did that, I started to think about uh, growing up. I love going to the building called the church growing up. I, I love the fellowship and, and everything that was a part of it. I, I even love some of the things 
that we learned in the church, like a little hand thing that we used to do where we would take our hands and we would fold them like this and we would say, here is the church, here is the steeple, open the door and see all the people. Okay? That was one way that we did it, but, but we did it a little differently at our church, and you may have done it too, where instead of folding your fingers inward, you just laid your hands like this, like you were praying, and then you would say, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, and where's all the people? Well, the answer is, I mean, that was kind of a joke, but the answer is that's where we're supposed to be. You know, being followers of Christ, we're not supposed to be stuck inside of a building. We are supposed to inhabit and be out in the world sharing the love and grace of Jesus Christ to a world who needs this message of salvation. There was also a song, I believe it's um, 558 in, in the United Methodist Hymnal, but we would sing this song all the time growing up, and I loved it because it was a nice little marching song, and we actually, I think we did this, so I'll stop doing that now because it's kind of embarrassing looking, but it would go like this, I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together, all who follow Jesus all around the world, yes, we're the church together, bum, bum, okay, no, um, but the verses talk about how the church is active. The church is out. The church is, is moving. The church isn't the building. The church is the people. So once we get this terminology correct, we can start thinking about what does it mean to actually be the church? Church, the, the word for church in uh, the New Testament, in the Greek, is ecclesia. So the, what the church means, what ecclesia means, it means to actually to be sent or, or to be called out of. So there, there, there is that, that idea that the, we are supposed to be called out of the world, but I think there's more to that, that we are called out to go be Christ's hands and feet to the world around us. This whole idea of being called or being chosen comes in our scripture that we have for today from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. And I invite you to follow along on the screen or in your Bibles if you have them. In the book of 1 Peter, we see that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what, who is the church? The church is a group of chosen people. We, we are chosen, and this is a familiar term because it was used for the, the, Jewish, the Jewish people, that they were chosen by God a long, long time ago through, uh, through Abraham. And, and that has a, a title that has stayed with the Jewish faith for a long time. But because of Jesus Christ, that definition of a chosen people has been, uh, been expanded 
And it's been expanded to those of us who, who have come to claim that Jesus Christ is our Savior, that, that Jesus as the Messiah has come to, to make a difference not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. And because we are a chosen people, we have been called to a, a specific task. And that specific task is to be the body of Christ. And, and the best place for us to see where that embodiment fully takes place is, is there in the early church, the, the, in the book of Acts. If you're familiar with the story, Jesus uh, has died, he's been raised again, and then he, he goes to his disciples and before he ascends to heaven, he tells them that they need to go back to Jerusalem, and then they need to wait. And, and, and as they wait, someone will come to them, and that someone is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So beginning, in the act, beginning of Acts chapter 2, we see that the Holy Spirit comes, and it makes the church explode. It makes the church do just absolutely amazing things, and we get all the way to the end of chapter 2 to verse 42, where we see these words. We see that the disciples, or those that were gathered there, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These are the three things that the disciples continue to do and help build their faith so that they could make a bold proclamation about who Jesus was. These three very important tasks that we as a church also need to make sure that we continue to do. The first part of that was really listening to the apostles' teaching. Or, or listening to, in other words, to say it, to the scriptures that God has given us. Now, I know this can be kind of a controversial text because uh, of how people interpret it the way things are, the, the words that are, that are in this text, but I go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where the writer writes, you are, that, that's the wrong one, that's Matthew 5. Look at ver, uh, slide, oh wait, no, I don't have this in there, I'm sorry, my fault. Sorry, Katie, I forgot to put that one in. Second Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For me, what that says is that this book right here, from, from Genesis to Revelation, is vitally important for us as followers of Jesus Christ. It, it is within these pages that we are given guidance of how to live our lives, how to, how to follow Christ, and how to share the witness of the gospel with others. Now, I know going through Genesis all the way through Revelation, there are some really difficult texts 
within scriptures. There are texts in here that we as a church, we have to wrestle with. And if we fail to wrestle with it, we fail to live into the calling that God has given each and every one of us. This past weekend, uh, my wife Tracy, she uh, received a couple of tickets for a, a Beth Moore conference up in Oklahoma City. So she uh, looked at me and said, do you want to go see Beth Moore? And I went, do I want to go and be in a big auditorium with over 3,000 women? I said, sure, why not? I'll go. I'll go and listen. Sure, that'll be great. And I got so much out of her messages. But the one thing that really stuck out to me about Beth Moore is that that woman loves Scripture. She loves Scripture, and she digs into it more than I think probably a whole bunch of pastors dig in the scripture. And she gets so much into it that she realizes, you know, that, that, that what's written here is something that God has given us. And what is written in here is a gift. And sometimes we have that tendency to take the gift that God has given us and we just place it here and we go on with our life, just not even paying attention to it. You know, we'll say, oh, you know, we have, we have the important verses memorized. You know, we know John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever you know, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, we know maybe a couple of other passages here there. We have the, uh, the cliff note versions in our heads, but we don't take time to really dig into this text. That's why I love Disciple Bible Study, because it, it gives us the opportunity to, to really explore sometimes some difficult passages, sometimes to, to really wrestle exactly what, what do we do with these words. But, but each time we wrestle, each time we struggle, each time we, we dig deeper into the text, we see God's heart, and we see God's heart for each and every one of us. You know, to not be too simplistic, but we see how God, you know, started the, this beautiful creation and, and, and worked after the fall to do restoration work by bringing the kings, by bringing the prophets, and finally bringing it to completion through Jesus Christ. And then we, as followers of Jesus, we, we extend that grace to the world around us. See, that is why Scripture is important. And I can keep going on and on and on. And, and part of it is me hitting me on myself on the back of the head going, come on, Chris, you're saying this is important. Let's make sure that you are relaying the importance of God's Word for the people that God has placed you in front of. And that leads us to the second part of, of this message in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is that it is about fellowship, my friends. You cannot, well, I don't want to say you cannot. There, there is a way for us to grow in our faith by ourselves. But it is so hard to do faith on 
your own. I have heard stories of people who have gone through horrible and difficult times and, and they've said, you know, I just have me and God. That's all I need. But then when life hits you and you realize that, that just you and God means that you are isolating yourself from those around you who can help support you, that it, 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 it draws a barrier. And then the one thing that I see happening over and over again is that you may not feel God in your life, as I mentioned in our prayers earlier, so you start to pull away from God instead of leaning into his love and mercy. I love this quote from uh, Billy Graham when he was uh, asked about the importance of fellowship. He said, you know, God doesn't want us to be isolated from, one, from other believers. They may not be perfect, but we aren't either. We need each other. And when we cut ourselves off from other believers, our spiritual lives are weaker and incomplete. See, when we cut ourselves off from each other, it's like we're, we're cutting off a part of our our arm, or we're cutting off our leg, we're, we're cutting off a part of us that, that makes us incomplete. That's why we hear time and time again in Scripture about the body of Christ, and they used the image of, you know, if, if we were all one eye, big old giant eyeball, we would not have the gifts and the graces of, of what a hand can do or, or, or what a foot can do. Every single person in this sanctuary, every single person in the 830 service, every single person who may be traveling or, or not here this morning, you bring a gift to this church that makes this church stronger, that, that, that makes this church available to do the work that God has for us to do. And then the disciples, they, they wrapped it all together in prayer. And I don't know about you, but I know about me. And, and I will admit, sometimes as a pastor, I will forget to pray. Because I know that I have action that I must do. There, there are tasks. There's uh, ministries that must be looked over. There, there, there are budgets that must be uh, created. There's all of these different things that must get done. And I am a type of person that I will just run right in and start doing the tasks that need to be done. And then while I'm in the middle of all of this, and I'm wearing myself down, or I'm having opposition here, there, or whatever, some of it you know, is, is deserved opposition, I'll go, why is all this happening? And then I'll stop, and I realize, Chris, before you got started, did you spend time in prayer? Or did you just go thinking that you had it all covered all by yourself? And 100% of the time, I'm not saying 99% or 99.9%, 100% of the time, I will look back and say, I didn't pray about it. I didn't spend the time that I needed to go, God, this is not my ministry. This is not my church. This is your church. 
and I need to spend time listening for, for God's direction in my life. And that direction comes from many different areas, from, from, from smarter people than me, from maybe a song on the radio, maybe just a small, quiet voice reminding me that I need to first listen to God before I jump into anything. The month of November is a, a, a good month to usually do something with giving thanks. And over the past few years, we've done that where we've had like a hashtag first give thanks or anything. And if you want to do that again this Thanksgiving or this November, please go, go for it and please do it. But I want our focus to be on something totally different this November. I want the family of Royce City First United Methodist Church to be fully engaged in the act of prayer. So I, I'm giving you a kind of a heads up of, of where we're going with this. Starting on Halloween, Thursday, uh, October the 31st, we are going to start a 72-hour prayer vigil. A and how the prayer vigil will work, starting at 8.30 in the morning on Thursday to 8.30 on Friday, we are going to have prayer stations set up in the youth room so that you can spend time praying over our youth ministry and the ministry that happens over in the Family Life Building, two buildings over. Then starting on 8.30 on Friday to 8.30 on Saturday, everything is going to move over to Wesley Hall, which is the building right next to us. And then over those 24 hours, you are invited to be in prayer for our children's ministry, for, for the work and the ministry that happens inside of Wesley Hall. And then Saturday morning at 8.30 until Sunday morning at 8.30, right at the beginning of our 8.30 worship service. So you'll have to deal with the praise team warming up and all that stuff if you pick that last hour. We'll set up prayer stations here in the sanctuary. My hope and my prayer is it gets us focused on being a church that prays so that the power of the Holy Spirit comes in each and every one of us so that we can let the power of the Spirit guide us and lead us as we move into 2020. And the last thing that we'll do is that we won't end the prayer vigil at 8.30 on the 3rd, but uh, on the 27th, we'll give you a prayer sheet that'll give you things to pray for from November the 1st all the way to November 30th. That way, during the entire month of November, you are setting time aside to pray for this church, to pray for the, the leaders in our church, to pray for this community, that God will use us in a mighty way so that we can see the power of God move in miraculous ways here in Royce City. That's a pretty big thing, but you know, I just feel it is so important that if we are called to live as the church, that we spend time in God's word. We spend time in fellowship and we spend time in prayer. And we do all of that so that we can be 
the light of the world. Because that's what Jesus calls us to be, isn't it? Matthew chapter 5, he says these words, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your God in heaven. My friends, it is an amazing time to be a part of what God is doing in our community. I want you to know that God is calling on each and every one of us to be that light. If you've seen some of the newsletter articles that I uh, posted on uh, the Facebook page or on the All Church email, or if you've come by the office to pick up those articles, one of the things that I talked about is that there's a phrase that I really dislike uh, that we use all the time when it comes to becoming a part of the church. And that phrase is being a member of the church. Now, some of you may wonder, why do you have a problem with calling people members of the church? Well, the reason why, I think it gives the wrong connotation of what we are called to do. When I think of membership, I think of the uh, old American Express commercial where it talks about how membership has its privileges. And, and when I think of being a member of a church, even I think about this being considered a member of the annual conference because I'm a member of the North Texas Conference, I think, you know, because I'm a member, I should get things. I should have benefits. I should be able to get things more than somebody else because I am a member. Or my membership has been in the church or in the annual conference a lot longer than other people. So if something good comes up, well, I better be the one uh, picked for that instead of somebody else. But instead, I want us to think about our relationship to the church through the words of 1 Corinthians 3, 9. that says this, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. See, Paul had this struggle that was happening in the Corinthian church because there were arguments going back and forth between two leaders, Paul and a guy by the name of Apollos. Some people say, well, I'm just going to follow Apollos because I really like how he preaches and how he talks about stuff. Other people said, well, yeah, but Paul's my man because he's the one that first started this place. And so there was this discord going on, and Paul was saying, look, it's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's about Jesus. And if we are making our membership in the Paul Club or the Apollos Club, or if we are making our membership in the Royce City First United Methodist Church Club, then we missed the point. Because God doesn't call us to be members to, to gain privilege or, or to have special roles. God calls us all to be co-workers so that we may share in the work that God has given each and every one of us. See, that's what Jesus did. When he came to this earth, 
Jesus came to serve. In Matthew, in Mark, and the, and the big picture in the Gospel of John where Jesus unties the robe around him and he leans down and he washes each disciple's feet. He says that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. My friends, as co-workers, co-laborers in the gospel of Jesus Christ, our call is to support one each other, to, to love one another, to allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to be boldly proclaimed through us so that the Holy Spirit may, may dwell in us so we can share that love with others. Would you please pray with me? Oh God, sometimes it's easy to uh, for forget some of the uh, simple tasks that we have in front of us to help us to grow as your disciples. So God, I ask that you put in a new fervor in us to dig into your word, to, to spend time in prayer to call for your Holy Spirit to, to rest upon us, to, to guide us, to lead us, to, to make us one as you, the Father, and the Spirit are one. Help the messages that we preach or messages that we speak through our words or our actions always point back to who you are because it is because you are our Messiah that connects us as a church and allows us to be the body of Christ. So God, we lift this prayer to you. In the name of the one who loves us and cares for us, Jesus our Lord. Amen.